0: SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 46 with guest Bill Ramos. Our guest today is Bill Ramos. For a long, long time, I've known Bill involved with the SQL Server product group, uh, but now Bill is part of Advaya.com, and so with little introduction, I'll get Bill to tell us. Hello, Bill. Tell us about your new role.
1: Yeah. Hi, Greg. Um, I'm currently what they call a work stream manager for Advaya, uh, responsible for the SQL Server product line. And in my new role at EdVaya, um, I'm involved with helping the Microsoft marketing team of all folks uh, come up with marketing strategies around uh, IT to business, uh, infrastructure-optimized strategies, marketing and sales messaging frameworks uh, for the SQL Server product. In addition, uh, one of the things that I'll, I do is I work on little mini-projects well, some of them can be rather big, such as uh, for SQL Server Migration Assistant, I'm putting together some white papers around MySQL, SQL Server, or access to SQL Server, and uh, access to Azure uh, as well. Um, mm-hmm. As part of that content, uh, we also do some development of things like quick uh, click-throughs, uh, digital marketing, streaming media. Things, even like this podcast we can yes. record for for the team. Cool. Well, what I'll get you to do first up though, of course,
0: for people who may or may not know, uh, I've come across you in the past, is how did you ever come to get involved in SQL Server in the first place?
1: Okay. Well, um, as uh, I mentioned before, there's this song that I think positions it well. Let's see how this comes <laughs> across. Long, long time ago, <laughs> Don McLean, yes indeed. I can still <laughs> Used to make me smile. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, Lovely. So, long, long time ago, mm-hmm. uh, in 1992, I think it was, um, I got involved with this thing called the Ashton Tate Microsoft SQL Server for OS2. Yes. And one of the things that I did was actually poured a set of, this is actually when I was at Ashton Tate back then, mm-hmm. uh, before Orland bought them out. Yep. And uh, I worked on a set of test suites, performance test suites based on the old SBT accounting system that ran workloads on the server just to make sure that it performed okay yeah uh, so so I was doing this Dbase to SQL server conversion way back then. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at Borland, well they didn't quite carry that product line ahead, but I was still kind of involved with uh how dbase for windows uh would actually hook up to SQL server uh through what was it the borland database engine yes the bde uh,
0: yes i Yeah recall the bde Yep. Yeah. and
1: then in uh 1995 i joined microsoft uh uh initially to write a set of database designers that would replace uh the access designers uh that they shipped you know with access 1.0 mm-hmm. uh where we were going to do a new database designer, table designer, to replace the, the, what you still see today in Access, and yeah. actually you continue to see in Access. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, and then back when Bill G did his, uh, infamous internet memo, we flipped all our code that was going against Jet to focus on SQL Server. And so back in, uh, two th- uh, thousand nineteen ninety six started heavily getting involved with uh, getting those tools to work on top of SQL Server and eventually shipped them as part of uh, kind of the beginning of SQL seven zero. Uh, we made sure that the yeah. tools would work on SQL six five and part of the Visual Studio ninety seven release. Yeah,
0: I certainly remember the period where suddenly uh, it must have been the period where he sent the uh, the infamous memo out, but the I suddenly recall that he suddenly like discovered the internet or something and, uh, I, I recall all of the tools suddenly becoming very internet enabled, uh, al- almost overnight, uh, often in ways that were quite bizarre, really. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I look at, uh, at the time with SQL Server 6.5, I remember, of course we had uh, Visual Basic 6 at the time and a lot of the, the things they added into that uh things like some of the web classes and all those sorts of things again of course were things that were later removed <laughs> anyway <laughs> uh, they they seemed to be fairly ill conceived at the time in fact i had a friend at the time said you only buy the odd numbered versions um uh, and uh, i think he was pretty well right actually he, i noticed that almost everything added in 6 was later removed but uh, anyway uh,
1: oh, let's not forget the infamous visual interdev version 1.0 yes. Oh. <laughs> yes 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 <laughs> with, with it. its with the chili pepper uh, application <laughs> uh, that i had a lot of fun with when we took the the show on the road mmm <laughs> oh, yeah. that's good and so in recent years though
0: you have been more in the the tools area
1: well, so let's see. I, I did my, my stint in Visual Studio uh, doing the database designers. Mm-hmm. Uh, spent one year in VB7 before it became VB.net uh, doing some project management for that release and then saw a good opportunity over in the world of Access mm-hmm. uh, to try to integrate SQL Server with Access at that time. Uh, and that was at the tail end of the 2000 release. Yep uh and then we did the big push for the adps again with access xp and then 2003 uh and then right after the 2003 release uh I was looking at how to integrate um .net programming language to replace vba mhm well needless to say that never went anywhere yep <laughs> and uh so uh, a friend of mine who I worked with back in those early days of Visual Studio, who happened to be working on uh, the manageability tools at that time, uh, said, hey, Bill, how would you like to come work on Management Studio? Uh, we're only about um, six months from shipping, and this was uh about 2004, early 2004. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the 2005 release. For the release, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Indeed. And so I said, yeah, sure, Why not? And mm-hmm. So uh since uh basically 2004 I've been working on Management Studio uh for the tail end of the 2005 release and then for the Katmai release uh led a team that helped produce uh, policy based management the uh, data collector and management data warehouse uh functionality that shipped with Katmai. yeah yeah. In fact,
0: we'll probably spend a fair bit of time talking about uh, collection and things. But first up, maybe just a quick question on just your feeling on the overall state of management studio at the moment as to uh, the, there's good and bad things. I'm just wondering what your overall feeling is.
1: Well, um, Management Studio, I think for 2008 and 2008 R2 are pretty rock solid. Uh, 2008 R2 started to bring in some of the development features. I think Snippets got in there. i got to yeah. check it out. But um, I think the cool thing that we added there was just the integration and the ability to connect to uh, SQL Azure. Mm-hmm. So that you can start to use, uh, Management Studio against SQL Azure and writing queries and, and keeping track of both your on-premise and off-premise uh, databases. Mm-hmm. And, uh, starting with, um, cumulative update three of, uh, <laughs> I think yeah. of, uh, R2, you can now actually run, um, reports inside of Management Studio. And I, I still owe a blog post on how to, to make that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, So with R2, uh, you know, Management Studio is real rock solid. Uh, Actually, with
0: custom reporting in Management Studio, is there, I suppose, any move to get, uh, I suppose, a later version of Report Viewer so that it can run the reports built on the same version, but I suppose that's, more of an issue for, for the reporting services team. But uh, it, it always seems a pity. Uh, for example, in, in 2008, you had to use 2005 to build reports to run a management studio. and yeah. 2008 R2, you've got to yeah. use 2008 and so on. So.
1: No, 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 no. In 2008 R2, you have to use the 2005 oh, still. still. Oh, yes, well, still? Yes, still. I not even have
0: the later uh, report viewer.
1: No, there uh for R2, they didn't release the report viewer. It wasn't until... uh ah, That was yeah. in Visual
0: Studio 2010, but, of course, they didn't take a dependency on that, did they?
1: Yes, yes. Now, for the Denali release, mm-hmm. we're uh, the, in CTP1, we're still shipping... Uh, I still say oh, we. You still say we, Microsoft. yeah. yeah. Um, but i, I got to remember at VIA, I have this mm. Microsoft hat as well as part of the... <laughs> training and evangelism mm. role that I have here. So if you hear me say we, it's often Microsoft. Yes. Um, I'm still getting used to my three weeks from Microsoft yes. <laughs> since I left Microsoft. Um, so with Denali on uh, CTP1, we took the old man- uh, the old Visual Studio out and put in Visual Studio 2010. Mm. But we still had to use the old report designer, and that's because it took a little bit of work to actually get the designer hooked in the way that it needs to. Mm. Uh, right. And so uh, I think by the time the next public CTP comes out, uh, the team will have the new report designer in it. So you can use, finally, Report Builder 3.0. Mm. and and all the 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 tools and bids, the the current tools to actually uh, design reports that will work inside a management studio. Yeah,
0: it just seemed like a nice capability to be able to do the custom reports, but then almost as soon as it appeared in what was it, Service Pack 2 of 2005, it kind of felt like it was nobbled from that point on, so yeah.
1: Yeah, but I'll tell you, Greg, ever since uh, I started taking the Reports that we had in the management data warehouse and recreating yep. them uh, for SQL Server 2008 R2 reporting mm-hmm. services uh, and using the Report Builder 3 on top of that. Yep. Boy, I just love running the, the manageability reports under reporting services because yeah. you can, you know, cache them up, you can send them out to people and do all... You know, more importantly, you can copy and paste text from the reports Yes, yes, yes. Uh, plus all the great export features that you get with the web-based uh, reporting system. Mm.
0: Actually, the final thing I'll ask about Management Studio before we move on is probably the, the old bane is just the extensibility story. It's, uh, uh <laughs> you, you would know that it's usually top of the list of uh, everything is the, it just it's, out of all of the teams in Microsoft, it, it sort of feels like the, the SQL team is the most conservative or the least, uh, willing in the even in the tools area to sort of open up extensibility and it always just seems such a pity to me. I, I, I mean I look at areas of the product, say for example service broker where I, I thought in 2005 that did outstanding plumbing but didn't give prescriptive guidance and didn't give any tools. Right. Uh, and then other people would have been happy to step up to the mark to provide those tools. And yet in 2011, coming up now, we still don't have those sort of tools, even though people would have built them in 2006, if there was a supported add-on. Well,
1: yeah, that's that's it. A lot of people have hacked into the extensibility interface with Visual Studio to actually create some remarkable Um, add-ins. You know, there's a company down in Oregon that does... Uh, in the U.S., that has a uh, service broker add-in to help you build yeah. a service broker app, and the guys at Redgate, you know, <laughs> with the SQL yes. Prompt tool, you know, have done a great job at hacking. And I saw Well Maladis
0: Pradik with his SSMS uh, add-in toolkit oh, is, uh, what is a, wonderful.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward. I think he's just got a few more days of testing before he's ready to roll that out for Denali CTP1. Mm. And, uh, the, the cool thing I saw when I was out at, uh, SQL Century, um, back in October, I saw their integration with Management Studio where they're actually launching dialogues from Management Studio. Yep. In their UI. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, dudes, how do you do that? <laughs> uh, you know, I, it, it was so fun, you know, back in the old days when 6.5, you know, in the in enterprise manager, we had SQL namespace. Hmm. Which was a t- basically, you know, customers could go ahead and plug in and use any of the dialogues that were used by Enterprise Manager in their apps, and, and in fact, Access used that interface to bring up the backup and attach dialogues, you mm-hmm. know, for for doing stuff with the uh, Access uh, database projects, um, and so people were extending it. However, Greg, a teaser, uh, and this mm-hmm. is for all your all your folks. Uh, you should dig out the Connect item that. Uh, Says, please add add-ons. Uh, yep. I'll tell you, that is the number one voted item in, of all the connect items that are active right now. Exactly. It is, it is still active. Mm-hmm. And when I last talked with the program manager who's uh, responsible for the feature now, he said he was thinking about it. <laughs> so, uh, we've got to get him more than thinking about it. And so, you know, we got to use the community and beat up on him because I, I think, I think, uh, they're at a tipping point now. And with 2010, Visual Studio, they have this, um, the Microsoft Extensibility Framework, which makes yeah. it pretty easy to, to do this. Uh, Yeah to, to exactly. do that, right? And, uh, I, I know our dev on the team when it was doing the uh, extensibility side, because we did a lot of the work in, on the Redmond side, uh, was saying, hey Bill, can we sneak this in? Uh, mm. I'm not so sure that's a good idea quite yet because you know part of the problem is always around testing, right? Yeah. And when you you test out something like that, you know, you you've got an obligation to your community. Um but I think uh there's growing momentum on the team to think uh, to see what they can do by the next public release to to get it out and mm. you know uh uh, the way I, how I look at it is that often when I,
0: I go along to say a software design review, the the discussion on version one of anything, uh, I'm usually the person in the room putting my hand up saying, "What about extensibility?" And they always tend to say, "Not in version one, but in you know in a later version we'll look at it." But but it always strikes me that version one is the, the time when you probably have the most holes in what you do. And other people would be happy to step up to the plate to try and help make. The, but otherwise, you're you're left in a loop where you have to have thought of everything in version one, and and that's that's not often the story.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, and and, and I, th- I think Microsoft in general is thinking about their version ones and the extensibility architecture and making sure that they do that. It's just. It was maybe the climate of the team uh, at the time that uh, prevented it from happening. Um, And you know, with 2005, we were you know really Mm. rushing to get that out the door, and so it was kind of hard for us to think about extensibility. Mm. Now I'll I'll tell you this though, Greg, uh, the team actually looks at extensibility first, and they actually design the tools now around the extensibility framework for plugging in. So. You know, they're ready to go. That's
0: a better story. That's good. Yeah.
1: Uh, so it's only a matter of time, I think, before the team flips the switch and gets things going. But, cool. yeah, it, I think it's time for the MVPs to, to march on Redmond and go or, or <laughs> wherever and say, we want accessibility. <laughs> uh,
0: I'm, I'm sure you know the story there. So, yeah. So the thing that I wanted to talk about uh, here was also data collection and management of servers, and I know that's dear to your heart. So, And uh, probably, I I think in everybody's future, there seems to be System Center Virtual Machine Manager or MOM or some of these products, and I I find most of the SQL DBAs have not looked or touched any of those at all, and so it's probably good to get their head around where you see this all going.
1: Ah, thanks, Greg. Um, Yeah, so I think, System center is, uh, especially operations manager, is mm-hmm. one of those um, tools that DBAs haven't quite figured out unless you're a DBA at, say, Hewlett-Packard. Yep. Uh, Hewlett-Packard has figured this out. And what they've done is they've created a custom management pack built on top of the, the SQL management pack where that is their primary interface for the DBA mm-hmm. to see what's going wrong with their systems. And the the cool thing about it is just the ability within System Center to look at your application at a high level. So, for example, if you've got an application that is order processing, and around Christmas time you your Amazon, and you expect you know ten thousand orders per minute, for example, mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah. you know, they can act. You can actually write a data collection around your application to uh, within uh, Operations Manager to. Track that and see the trends, so that if all of a sudden you see your orders all of a sudden going down and your CPU starting to spike, uh, it could be you know the fact that maybe you've got a query that's gone bad on you. Um, yeah. That all, all of a sudden the query plan changed. All the customers uh, is taking them. You know, it's just taking the system longer to process the order or. Mm all of a sudden the web app just stops performing and customers give up and move to someone else to do yeah. their shopping. And so in the online world, that could be uh, pretty ugly.
0: Yeah. In fact, I've got a customer who probably most of the time now has about 20,000 concurrent users. And one of the things that's interesting is they had a big plasma screen in the room where all the developers and operations staff were. And it was... Being used to display activity, and they were grabbing it out of uh, out of mom, and or SCOM, or those Scom. products SCOM now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what was interesting though, when I was doing some tracing in the performance tuning, the queries that were coming for that were actually the heaviest queries on the whole system, and so. Uh, the, the The way they had done it, it was interesting that they had people in their normal application going to extraordinary lengths to build good queries, but then the guys that were doing the monitoring, (laughs) in fact, wrote the worst queries, and they ended up uh, hurting the system more than helping it. And uh, But that was all just so they could display a thing on the screen, on the wall, (laughs) so they'd know how busy it was.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me when we first put together Activity Monitor for the 2008 release, uh, we had fired that thing up and had it refreshing the screen like every five seconds. And then we realized that <laughs> activity monitor itself was consuming like 10% of your CPU. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right. And that the most, the query to get the most re- uh, expensive queries was the most expensive query. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. So that's uh, yep. uh,
0: always a lesson there, but yeah, not, not killing yeah. yourself with monitoring yourself. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I talked with uh, the system center team uh, quite a bit over the last three months, uh, um, just understanding management pack scenarios and how to do data collection. And one of the the wise sayings I got from the principal program manager there, Dan Rogers, was that less is more. Mm. The less you actually capture, the more value you can get out of the product. And so... You know, you think about, you know, how often do you need to see if a disk subsystem is running properly when the amount of time that it's going to take to fix the problem is going to be really long, Yeah. right? And so, you know, we were thinking about this even in the high availability space uh, and, you know, database mirroring. You know, if your secondary goes down, do you need to know within a second? within 10 mm. seconds or 15 seconds so uh, that that it went down when you know when you do find out it's probably going to take you a day to order a new computer and then get some the <laughs> <new> secondary <laughs> opening right? that's or, interesting sort of, I,
0: I saw that <laughs> survey that came out that we all filled in and it was interesting the questions in that whether yeah looking at exactly those sort of things it was if if you have this happen how how long is it that you'd be before you really need to know about that and uh and right. in terms of response times and so on, and how long does, would it take for that to re- realistically be repaired and, and so on?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it all comes down to what your business is willing to tolerate and how fast they can react mm. to to hardware problems. I mean, if you have a hard drive go out, you know, do you have a bank of hard drives that you're ready to slap in? Mm. I don't know. I don't have one. No, you may here. Not, Yeah. <laughs> Depends on the company. Yeah, it depends on the company, right. Uh, So in terms of things that are
0: already in the product, we we have the data collection system uh, came in 2008. What's your feeling on the current state of play with that?
1: Well, it's interesting, Greg, that at SQL Pass this year, I found more people interested in the data collector and the management data warehouse capabilities than ever before. Yes. And I know the reason, you know. We're finally getting off of 2005. Yeah. I, re- I remember uh, in 2007 at passed doing a presentation on top of, uh, I think it was CTP6 at the time, or CTP6 was about ready to roll out. And, you know, the first question that came out of everybody's mouth was, uh, will this work against 2005? Um uh, yeah. No. Sorry. Um, and even, now, even that yeah. is an
0: interesting trend because... If you look at most features of the product, it makes complete sense to, uh, if you're trying to push a new version of the product, to have it only work with a new version. But I would suspect that anything that is involved in manageability, if it doesn't work backwards a version or two, you almost preclude it from being of any interest to someone when they're looking at upgrading.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. And I think we found that out, you know, loud and clear, especially with this feature. Uh, is that it's taken a while for it to catch on, but now people are actually starting to bring it up uh We had some folks at Dell computers say, "Hey, we wanna give it a go with fifty computers. You know what kind of uh hardware do I need to handle fifty computers collecting to a single m mm. d w right Have you seen
0: anybody build a collector for two thousand and five? I know it was on my to do list at one stage, but I didn't get around to it so
1: uh there were some folks in uh e p g or somewhere trying to hack out the packages in SSIS uh, to make it work on 2005. But mm. the big problem there was is that in 2008, the SSIS team made several key bug fixes mm. that allowed the data collector to be performant and responsive in this continual data collection mode that we have yep. uh, for the data collector. And so, if you tried to use two thousand and five, I'm pretty sure it would a v in a heartbeat
0: yeah, I must admit uh, I, the, I was thinking at the time that I would have had to build my own little agent uh instead of using integration services for that but uh and anyway yeah re- regardless yeah. the um so so that's not commonly done anyway that, that's yeah so right. that's
1: where that's where we have some great partners like oh uh, Redgate Quest. SQL Century, you yeah. know, where they have dedicated products. I'm sure I'm forgetting a few. Adira, Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the, um, you know, the, they handle all the versions uh, of SQL Server, and you know, they'll they'll fill that gap and and continue to fill that gap. Uh, but right now, you know, it's it's amazing that uh, the data collector and the MDW are starting to take off, and yep. I I think with the blog post where I published out the RDL files mm. uh, that can now run in um reporting services. That was the other question that everybody asked. How can I take those reports out and run them on reporting services? Yeah. You know, at the server level. And you know at the time, you know, the RDL files that we had in the product, you just couldn't take them as is and convert them because inside we think about how do we handle multiple languages? Yeah. And so all the strings inside those reports are all references to a DLL resource, right? Mm-hmm. Uh so it's almost impossible to 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 figure out what's going on plus uh many of the queries and strings use parameters and those were all uh C-style parameters with percent 1%, 2%, 3 mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um so it was a difficult It'd thing. It would just be fairly so
0: that, horrible to do, yeah. Yeah. We've do. Got,
1: so it was just as easy to take the source files and then literally recreate them from scratch, uh, yep. you know, using the, the data, you know, all the great goodness that uh, was put together in terms of stored procedures to help mm. uh, run the reports on the MDW. So uh, mm. the the exercise to convert those reports over, now people have reporting services. They can run against their management data warehouse And with these reports, uh, we actually recognize the MDW reader role so that, you know, and we don't have any references to MSDB in them Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. like we have inside of uh, management studio. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh,
0: all that's, that's good
1: actually. In fact,
0: in the product over the years, I I think they've done an amazingly good job with the localization of strings and things like that. Probably the. The one exception, uh, for me is policy management. Curiously, uh, uh, the, the, uh, that's in that one. I mean, you, you have to create a different policy for each culture. And that strikes me as completely bizarre. Um, and uh, do you yeah. know how that happened or, uh, no, <laughs> I won't even, <laughs> I won't even pretend to know how it happened. Uh, cause I remember I went along to the SDRs and I'm looking and everywhere they had, they just had like, a spot that you typed an actual string into, and I kept saying, "How do you localize that?" And and in the end, what they did, it was interesting, is that the the path now in, it includes the culture as part of the path. And so, if you have to have a, a policy that and but got to do things in four languages, you've actually got to build four policies. Uh, that yeah uh, <laughs> didn't seem the cleverest bit of coding I've ever seen. <laughs> so.
1: Um, yeah, and so. You know, SCOM, System Center Operations Manager, uh, isn't that much better, mm. but it, it, it can, it, it does, it can, uh, management packs can be localized. You can actually mm. indicate which one's which. Uh, yep. each language has basically all the strings embedded in it. Mm. Uh, and, and so you t- you take the set and you include that management pack depending on the language that you want to run mm. against, and then you can see things localized. So um, yeah. The story's not that much better, but I think long-term there's going to be more uh, effort on Microsoft's part to make System Center really uh, deal with these kinds of situations mm. so that their it's- authoring environment can deal with it.
0: Yeah, back on data collection, I've found the same. Uh, We've been out talking to people about it and more and more people are starting to get involved in putting it in. One of the critical comments I come up all the time is people ask about there doesn't seem to be a way to remove it uh, uh, without hacking it out. Is that likely to appear somewhere along the way? Uh, One of the hesitations people seem to have about putting it in is there's no option to take it out.
1: Well, (laughs) why do you want to take it out?
0: (laughs) What's the hard... Yes, why would you ever want to? (laughs) I
1: I mean, you can... Once it's disabled uh, at the the data collector mode, it's pretty much not doing anything. Mm. Uh, The only thing you have to watch out for is the purge job, uh, which will fire. And so the thing to do is uh, just disable it. That disables all the associated jobs that do the data collection. Mm. So nothing's running in SSIS. There's no DC exec process running as far as SSIS goes. Uh, so it's pretty much turned off at that point. And mm. uh, so, you know, you just turn it off and be done with it. Okay. And ignore it, right? <laughs> that's, that's what I say. And we, you can script it out in PowerShell. You can script it out in T-SQL through our uh, stored procedure interface mm. to turn it off. And, you know, that's the way to do it. You yeah. know, there's, and if you're if you're concerned about the jobs that are there, you you know, you can just... It always nuke the jobs, yeah. Nuke the <laughs> jobs. Right.
0: As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Uh,
1: the nice thing is, is that if you go ahead and uh, run the wizard again, or actually you run uh, repair, I think, and setup. Mm-hmm. It will rebuild a lot of the stuff, and then you can also rebuild it uh through the wizard uh interface when you go to set up data collection. I think that mm. pretty much puts it back into place.
0: Yeah. Uh, it just seemed odd know, in, to have a wizard to set it all up but not not to have an option in it to make it go away again. But, yeah, and, anyway.
1: And that, and that was, you know, we never thought about it during the product design cycle. We mm. said, if you don't want it, just disable it. <laughs> She said, done, you know? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's you're good. all big boys. You know, it's 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 exactly the reason why there's no UI for creating custom collection sets. Mm. Right? Um you always said, you know, if you're gonna create a custom collection set, you better really think about what you're collecting. Yeah <laughs> and, and Actually, so I should
0: yeah. I should um almost playing acronym police or buzzword police. Um, um Many people might not be aware of custom collection sets, so uh, maybe just a quick definition of those.
1: Ah, so, uh, within the data collector, uh, it's a, an extensible system that allows you to create a custom collection set, data collection set, uh, that includes collection items, uh, a collection, one or more collection items, and they can be of type, um, a SQL trace, uh, which would actually run a server-side trace on the target machine and, take the information from that server-side trace and dump it into the MDW. Uh, You have the T-SQL collection type uh, that can be used as part of a collection item that will run any kind of T-SQL query. Uh, There's an interface to run it against all the databases or selected databases uh, on your target machine. Uh, And there's also perf counters where I think that's the the biggest value and and by far the easiest thing to report against uh, so that you can take any perf counter that Windows has uh, on that system and collect data about it and then Mm. use the uh, report series. Does that use the
0: DMV, that uh, SysDMOS performance counters DMV or something to get to those?
1: No, not at all. Uh, So the system, the, the DMV that you're talking about, only looks at SQL Server perf counters mm-hmm. and just makes it easier oh, for... Oh, so
0: this allows you to get to any of them, does it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Ah,
0: nice. Okay.
1: Network I.O., uh, disk reads, disk writes, uh, mm. you know, things that are specific to the OS, you know, um, percentage of CPU utilized for the instance, right? hmm And with that data... Um, you can create a custom collection set. Now, you have to keep in mind that we have a server activity collection set that already collects a lot of the most popular perf counters based on all the white papers and CSS stuff. But I know yeah. Andrew Kelly or someone like that will go, oh, you're missing page life expectancy. <laughs> no, I think page life expectancy is in there. It'll, I was uh, going to say, I, I think that <laughs> would be there, actually. Yeah, it's, it's actually there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, when you set up one of these, uh, collection items, you define, uh, a collection set that it's associated with. And so the idea is you, you take, so, you can build up, um, like a little troubleshooting package with the collection set that looks at a, a specific scenario that you might have in mind. And, uh, it can include, uh, I don't know how many collection items. I don't think we have any limit on the number of collection yeah. items that you can associate there. Um but the idea is that the collection set is the atomic package. Each collection item has its own uh frequency at which it can collect at. And so yeah. uh it can go down to five seconds, which boy you better be really careful when you do that. Yeah. Uh, we have a couple that go at ten seconds, but most of them are at sixty seconds uh for the server activity mm-hmm. so that we can actually the the ones that uh go at ten seconds have to deal with the locks and blocks. Yeah, So that we can see the blocking chain and we've got to sample a little faster than normal, uh, to, because we don't have, we didn't have X events back then, you know? Yeah, exactly. With yeah, X events, it's so much easier.
0: I suppose one of the things I find, even with blocking chains though, you might be wanting to track down like a specific one that that is an issue at a point in time. I find that most of the time, by the time I've got rid of most blocking in systems, well, first up, the thing I find about getting rid of blocking is if you make the queries run quick, most of the blocking disappears. It, it's uh, <laughs> it's Short transactions. A number of sites we get called into to deal with blocking issues, and all, all it is is you you make the queries run fine and then all the problems disappear. Yeah. But the, uh, I find once I start getting into that, what I do eventually start looking for, I used to just build a little job that, fired up every, even every few minutes or five minutes and it would just look to see anything that was at the head of a blocking chain and then I would squirrel that in a in a database and go back to sleep again and what I found interesting was just over a period of time it was that query <laughs> you, know, was the, you know or something was the thing that was causing, you know it tended right. to be at the head of a blocking chain so I, I might have another look at that one oh. uh, and, and I found but so I didn't find even when I was doing that sort of thing that the instantaneous granularity was what I was after. It was more, in even in my case, it was like pop up every five minutes, and if I did that over a long period of time, I would get a good trend.
1: Yeah, see, that's where, um, you know, one of the things around the data collector and the MDW that um, I've been trying to encourage people to do is actually get the development team to fire it up.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: And so that way, you know, they can do their little test workloads, and and the MDW can report things like blocking. It and More importantly, because it has the tie-in to the, you know, the ability to record a server-side trace, you could take that server-side trace and feed it into DTA and figure out your missing mm-hmm. indexes. Uh, in addition, you can use the capabilities that we have with query statistics and find out, you know, if you're having uh, plan issues, query plan issues. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I cannot, you know, I have to mention um, Bart Duncan and the latest post that he did uh, where he created a new collection set that can replace the uh, query statistics collection set that we shipped mm-hmm. uh, with 2008. Uh, it's I'll have to dig up the URL for you so you can put mm-hmm. it in the, the podcast. The yeah. it, um, it, it's the query hash statistics. Uh, it's on TechNet somewhere. Um, and what it does is it uses, in 2008, at the very end of the release, we added uh, this thing called a SQL uh, statement fingerprint and yep. a query plan fingerprint uh, to the DMBs that uh, keep that information so that we could check for, uh, you know, fast-running queries that may be changing plans a lot, mm-hmm. and you don't realize what's going on. And yeah. and because it, it, it's so short in duration, it doesn't show up as a long-running query. But when you aggregate them together, you go, oh, oh yeah, that that is a nasty query. Yeah, I must admit, um, it's
0: one of the things I look for in tuning all the time Is is things that – it's interesting. A lot of things always filter out all the expensive things. But, like, uh, again, I was looking at a system a little while ago, and and one of the things I found is a, a query, say, that was running 10,000 times a minute with exactly the same parameters.
1: Yeah. And you go,
0: yeah. <laughs> okay, now, it's taking no resources at all in, in theory, each query, but... <laughs> when you add like, it up,
1: it's taking 95% of your CPU. What's going
0: on here, yeah. And what was interesting in that case, it was simply a typo in the caching code. Wow. And so every time they'd done the right thing, thought they'd cache this stuff, but every time they'd look in the cache, they'd say, no, it's not there, and they'd put it back in again. <laughs> 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 and so, yeah, and and it's very interesting that that sort of thing, it's very hard to find any other way except at the back end. That sort of
1: Yes. Stuff. Yeah. So uh, with this new uh, query hash statistics uh, collection set that Bart Duncan has put together, um, it's dramatically decreased the amount of disk space per day that's collected for query activity.
0: Uh, that is the final thing I want to ask you about with data collection is the impact on the systems and on the, the server that's holding the data warehouse.
1: Yeah, so on the system that's being monitored, um, we did some performance testing um, back when we released the product using the TPCC benchmark. Mm-hmm. And what we did is we measured the impact of throughput because throughput is the actual number you have to worry about. And we found that it was just a little under five percent less throughput with the data collector on than not having it turned on. Mm -hmm. And that was our goal. And we wanted to make sure that we were right there, you know, at under five percent. So. You know, we figure the value that it has to have the data collector on all the time. We, want, you know, we want to make sure that you know it doesn't impact the system. Yeah, now, I must, I've yeah. configured
0: it, and i i must admit, on the sites I've put it on, it's just been wonderful. I—I I, I don't see an issue at all. I mean, I've heard the odd rumble from people uh, on the MVP forums and things, but I've—I've I've just had no evidence of that. I've, I've had no. Uh, yeah. They were talking about some instability in some of the the SSIS jobs and things, but. I, it's just not been my experience. I, I've had a good outcome with it.
1: Yeah, and in general, it, it, it does run pretty good. The, the only time I see it get a little frustrating is when I have, uh, in my demo environments where I'm using a, like a 12 gig box and I have all these VMs set up and I have SQL Server with a 1 gig VM. You know, I use, uh, Brent Ozar's recommendation to give half the memory to SQL Server and what will happen is you'll see it and and because when i'm demoing i'm actually having data collect i changed the mm. default upload time from 15 minutes to 5 minutes yep and so what will happen is you'll see a, a, a like a, a steady load on the system and then data collection kicks in cpu drops down right yeah <laughs> little you get a little weights as the as the data is getting pushed to the mdw mm. you know on the same box on the same vm or yep. you know on a different vm uh so you know the system itself you know, if, if you have separate computers and things like that, I'm sure you don't have the, the little drop that takes place no. every time you do a data upload. Uh, yeah, so it's, said, pretty
0: good. I've been pretty happy with it in that regard.
1: Yeah. And on the MDW server itself, you just need a lot of disk space. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, you know, the, the data uploads, uh, every 15 minutes, uh, we did a lot of work with the engine team to solve some interesting deadlock issues that mm-hmm. were nagging us in earlier CTPs during the 2008 release cycle that got fixed as part of our, you know, troubleshooting, uh, the data collector before we actually released 2008. So the, you know, you can have, you know, we tested up to 130 sy- or 120 systems all uploading at the same time every mm-hmm. 15 minutes without any problem. That's good. What sort of uh, yeah.
0: guidelines do you currently suggest in terms of disk space?
1: Well, the disk space is relatively easy to compute because we have a disk usage report yep. <laughs> that shows you how much uh, disk space uh, the MDW is growing per day, mm-hmm. um, and so you can take that value based on what what you're collecting and see the the amount per day and go okay, how much do I want to retain? So by uh, yeah, default I we think retain. That's, yeah, that's
0: the good point is that the, what you determine from that is the retention period.
1: Yeah, so by default it's 14 days is the retention period. But if, mm-hmm. if you're running on a tight system, uh you know, you might want to decrease that. So in terms of what's actually collected with the out-of-the-box data collectors all turned on, uh for the management data warehouse and the data collector, you're looking at anywhere from 250 to 500 megabytes per day per instance. Yep. And a lot depends on how much is actually running on the target machine. So, for example, one of the things that we do is we go ahead as part of our perf counters, we look at all the the percentage of uh, CPU utilization for every... Process running on the machine. Yep. So as long as you have a SQL Server box running on a Windows Server core box, you know, you don't have a lot of stuff running. Mm. So we're not collecting a lot of process information. Likewise, if all your queries are all basically the same, uh, especially with the new, with Bart's new uh, query statistics yep. uh, hash stuff, boy, data collection drops down a lot. Mm. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know you're still looking. Uh, again, it, your your mileage may vary, but that's what we say happens. You don't need a very beefy machine in terms of memory and CPU mm. uh, for the the actual MDW server. And in fact, uh, in my my typical scenarios, what I'll do is uh, right now I, I run the MDW database actually on my system center operations manager box Yep. so that I have both the MDW and my SCOM uh, data collection all happening on the same machine, and, um, you know, it works pretty good for me. Good. So, look,
0: another thing, Bill, uh, that introduced in 2008 R2 was the SQL Server utility, and that one has sort of struck me as kind of an odd fit in the mixture, and just wondering your thoughts on that.
1: My thoughts on the utility. Um, The utility for what it's intended for um, is, you know, the idea was to create an out-of-box experience that would allow you to look at a bunch of servers that you have under your control and understand their CPU pressure and disk pressure. Mm -hmm. And so they were designed around those two areas to start uh So, for example, is my system capable of handling the load, um, you know, for the number of instances that I have on that box? And is, am I in a position where I might run out of storage for a particular instance and then be able to report upon that? Because out of the box, we didn't have anything that would easily um, identify that information. Mm. Right? And so with the utility... um, the uh the idea was to come up again, they use the data collector uh for uh the core data collection and they actually create a bunch of staging tables uh which you see when you do install the utility.
0: Uh yeah, I've seen that in the MDW, the, the tables that it creates. The yeah. uh, what it, it I, seems just, to always give me the feeling though that it doesn't feel like it's compatible with the data collection stuff sort of thing.
1: Yeah, well, and that's 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 because it um, it forces you if you were running data collection already to uh, if you want to add that instance to the utility you literally have to stop data collection on that instance and then redirect it towards the utility after you've uh, enrolled the instance into the utility. Mm. Um, but once it's there, data collection works just fine. Against the utility. Mm. So the idea is to have that one place for all your manageability data. Yep. Uh, and so for that, it does a pretty decent job. Now, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, the limits that you hear about on the recommendations for how many instances that it can support. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting that when we developed those guidelines, uh, it was because we had a kind of a turkey machine running our utility. Yep. And we didn't have like a real hard drive system, you know, a real RAID yeah. drive kind of configuration. Yeah. And, um, we were concerned that customers using, um, the, uh, utility control point would end up with the, these problems in throughput, uh, into the utility. Um, when in, uh, as we started with the, uh, the Denali release, we got to, um, looking at the hardware configuration a little better and realized that if you have a properly configured server with real, you know, real radio drives and stuff, yeah. real disks, um yeah utility can actually handle quite a few instances reporting into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, you know, people look at it and go, that many instances? i got a heck of a lot more instances than that.
0: Um, mm. Actually, is- the biggest concern I've heard in that area is around the licensing. Uh, yeah. Given In fact, the Enterprise Edition was limited to 25 instances. And basically yeah. the word I keep hearing is, well, who runs Enterprise Edition and has less than 25 instances?
1: Yeah, I think that's going to change pretty quickly. Um, especially with the, uh, the data center skew not getting a lot of attention right now. Um, we'll see how that works out with the Denali release and being corrected. And I can imagine it actually being, cor- well, let's see if it even gets corrected in the SQL Server 2008 R2 release. Yeah. <laughs> I'll char- chat with the marketing guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it did seem like a, a very strange thing where it, where it almost, uh, if it seemed like a a part of the product that again could actually be killed by the licensing if nothing else so
1: yeah um you know for what it does it does pretty good um but you know that's where uh I think tools like um you know you know they have a policy based management that they created on top of that thing that allows mm-hmm. you to to write you know customize a policy that says when the CPUs, uh, you know, exceeded so much percentage over a certain amount of uh, collections, it will actually, you know, you can control the house data of that. Mm. Um, all of that is behavior that can be found right now in system center operations manager. Yeah. And so I'm, which doesn't have the same licensing restrictions exactly. that the utility control
0: point so, has. In general, uh probably many of the people who listen to this would not be familiar with the system center suite at all. Yeah. So perhaps maybe just quickly mention what's in the suite and what parts of it are interest interesting okay. to the, the well, data folk.
1: Well there's there's all sorts of things. You mentioned system center virtual machine, machine manager, uh, there's uh, there's Operations Manager, which is the one I'm most familiar with. Uh There's the System Center Configuration Manager, which allows you to, you know, one of the things that people often say is, like, how do I know the DBA that's responsible for this instance? Or how do I know the DBA that's responsible for this database? Mm. You know, there's no way in SQL Server that you can actually record that unless you have, you know, you're using an Excel workbook or something like that. Yeah. Or well, extended configuration...
0: properties on things, yeah.
1: Yeah, but even then, you don't have extended properties on the server. Yeah right so you know system center configuration manager actually records that information so mm-hmm. that you can keep track of it uh you know so that's a, a tool that is um you know when put in the hands of a dba or the application owner you know you can you know make a difference in a in shortening your time to, you know in response time and finding out who to call and things like mm-hmm. that when the system yeah. goes awry um and i'm sure i'm missing a bunch but again my sweet spot in in learning about system center is all around operations manager yep. and uh you know what i learned about that is is that it has some very sophisticated uh uh infrastructure to allow you to define things like policies uh over periods of time uh do performance baselining uh, uh, built into the product, select a particular computer or instance and have context sensitive tasks to help you diagnose the problem on an unhealthy system. Mm. Uh, it even has the capability for certain uh, types of monitors and rules to fire off, um, a remediation action that says, hey, maybe do some more detailed tracing. Uh, you know, for example, you might want to fire off, uh, you know, an X-event trace to do a deep dive tracing on a particular query uh, yeah. that's running on your system, or uh, you could have it fire up a new data collector, you know, a collection set that you have configured as part of a remedial action or as part of a, a deeper discovery action, and yeah. then actually take remediation. So you can say, you know, for example, let's say I have, you know, we implemented uh, a new thing with the uh, system center Two. Well, what the mom pack for 2008 R2 that we released in August is this blocking session, um, rule that we built in yep. there. And in that, you know, we could have built a uh, remediation that said, if you were blocking, if more than 10 sessions were blocking over a five minute period of time, kill the head blocker. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you can actually set that kind of rule up into Operations Manager. Uh, mm. Of course, you can also say, um, w- prompt the user to say, do you want to kill this bit?
0: Yeah, or go <laughs> and talk to the human, yeah.
1: Yeah, make sure it's not the VP's query of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> finance, you know. Uh, so with System Center, you you get a lot of flexibility, and what I like is its, just, it's ability to create these little dashboards that allow you to see charts of your data over time like you would with the management data warehouse or you mm. can see health state information and uh you know just kind of build your own dashboard environment on top of the existing um management pack mm. uh so it gives you tremendous flexibility and so yeah so if so, you look
0: 2 years down the track i mean what where do you think the dbas will spend their time in monitoring be more in Mom type area. I uh, actually, area?
1: So. Um, I actually think they'll be in SCOM, But what we need from somebody is um, a kind of a redoing of the existing SQL Mom pack that has the DBA in mind. Yeah. Uh, the current management pack that we have uh, in for System Center was basically a version that was copied from 2000 uh to 2005 to 2008 to 2008 or yeah. 2 uh without regard to the way the DBA might want to see uh the information or respond to the information mm. and so one of the things i was doing right before i left was coming up with a new design for the management pack to incorporate hey what are the key performance counters that you know DBAs care about you know based on the work that we did with the man- uh with the uh, data collector management yeah. data warehouse and start collecting those values as part of um, monitors and rules uh, within uh, System Center, and then from there you can create um, thresholds uh, for those values. That you know, so for example, if you expect your system to be running, you know, or a particular instance to be running at sixty percent CPU, and all of a sudden it jumps to eighty percent, you can actually you know, change the health state. Fire off an email to your DBA saying, "Hey, look, uh, this thing went into an unhealthy state. Do something about it." Mm. They they could then fire up System Center, look at the instance that's unhealthy, and then launch Management Studio, or even with System Center, you could take those same RDL files that I recreated, running under Reporting Services, and actually run those. Assuming that you had some form of data collector running on that instance as well. And so even within the SCOM environment, you can run those same RDL files.
0: Do you, so you, get a, do you imagine yeah. that the, the collection will continue to be within SQL Server into a, a warehouse and then SCOM talks to that? Or do you imagine that somehow eventually the, the collection would be straight to the box that's doing the, the SCOM work or something instead?
1: Yeah, I, I think the trend most likely will be SCOM to do the data collection for the lightweight things that it does best. Yep. So SCOM is really good at collecting perf counters and Windows event data. Mm. It's not so good at SQL queries. Yep. Right? And so what I'm suggesting is, you know, take the data collector stuff where we're collecting the perf counters Let's flip that over and have System Center collect that information in its database and then take things like the query statistics work and continue to use the MDW to do that. So I found that if I took Bart's uh, Bart Duncan's uh, query statistics uh, hash data collection set yep. and just ran that, disabled server activity and disk usage activity or the disk usage report and then have my counters working in SCOM, I can effectively uh, find the root cause to any problem within System Center and then launching over to Management Studio and the MDW reports uh, just as easily as I could within a Management Studio mm-hmm. with much, 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 much less overhead in terms of collection because, again, less is more when it comes to System Center. Mm-hmm. I don't have to collect as often as I did uh you know so the blocking chain scenarios as you mentioned mm. earlier you know you don't have to do that all the time no um and and so, to
0: me the ones that are most interesting with those are the longer term trends i mean there, there will be the odd one that, but again activity monitor i mean we can already drill in and look at you know what's going on right now in in terms yep. of that the exactly. um tend to be more interested in yeah things that tend to cause that over a period of time rather than necessarily yeah. things that are problematic right at this instant
1: And that's what System Center is designed to do is you can actually do uh, baselining, you know, for a particular set of counters and then see the difference uh, from month to month, week to week, you know, year to year even if you wanted to. Uh, And that's something that, you know, they've spent a lot of time uh, on designing into the product and it's only going to get better from the sneak peeks that I've seen with System Center 2012. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I think it's an interesting suite of tools. Yeah, I mentioned Virtual Machine Manager, uh, again, because that's one we've used quite a bit. In fact, we did a uh, an e-clinic for the SQL team on SQL virtualization. Uh, Bill Chestnut, one of our guys, did that a little while ago. We worked with him on that. And it's interesting that, again, rather than trying to manage multiple instances on a machine, it's becoming quite common now to virtualize all of those and use Virtual Machine Manager it gives you... Really outstanding flexibility in terms of managing the virtual instances across a machine instead of trying to man- manage SQL instances on the one box and so on. I, I, yep. The t- the tooling is really uh, really quite good. But yep. I suppose from here then, Bill. So wh- where are we going to see you, or where will people see you, or what's what's coming up?
1: Oh, what's coming up? Well, um, part of my role is training and evangelism at EdVaya. And so my next public appearance is actually going to be in Tampa Bay for sequel Saturday 62, mm-hmm. uh, in mid-January. Uh, in February, on February 19th, I think is sequel Saturday 42, which was canceled and that's why it's not afterwards. Um, I'll be in Phoenix uh doing a SQL Saturday session around, again, the Data Collector MDW yep. story. And then um, uh, they invited me to talk in Vancouver, uh, Canada, the next week. Uh, my wife and I will drive up uh, from uh, the Redmond area and um, give a ses- session there. And, catch, uh, catch the train. It's catch. outstanding. I know you catch the train, but you know, it's just always nice to have you. Have car.
0: the car, I know. It's yeah, just yeah, I should mention to people I, I, I have uh as people would realize I, I spend so much time on planes that I'm I'm kind of over airlines. <laughs> and uh <laughs> one of my favorite trains in the world is that one that runs from Seattle to Vancouver. It it's uh it it's about thirty something dollars and in most other countries it would be a scenic train trip. It uh runs yeah. right along the side of the water and then through the mountains and the snow and the, it, it's it's outrageous and and it's uh huge and comfortable and room for a, a laptop and power and everything in it
1: <laughs> like... yeah the only downside <laughs> wow is the only downside is we want to take our little dog mio with us oh yeah okay so, <laughs> yeah. So we got our little japanese chin little 10 pounder guy and he goes where, everywhere with us
0: Yeah. Kind of know so, look, in, in in general, we uh, I, I still end up on planes enormous amounts, but I uh, I, tr- I do try and avoid them a little bit if I can. The, uh, and uh, that yeah. that train is one in particular that uh, is pretty good. Actually, it was quite. Uh, Scary watching that Qantas jet the other week that had, uh, oh, uh, had yeah. the, uh, what do they call it? Uh, an uncontained failure <laughs> in the engine. And, uh, and what, what, what is particularly scary with that is that I've been on that, uh, May and I have been on that one twice in wow. recent weeks, uh, prior to that. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's when it starts to become a little more, uh, uh, very realistic <laughs> when you realize that very same plane you've been on. Yeah. So anyway.
1: Yeah. So I'm actually in my new role. I'm going to be out in the community a lot more than uh, ever before than I was at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to continue to blog and tweet. Uh, I've got my blog account set up on SQL Blog. Uh, Great. And then Adam uh, and Peter's site. Yes. Excellent. Yep. And, uh, it turns out I still have access to my MSDN account. So. <laughs> <There you> go. <laughs> I can always use that. Uh, and you know, I've got my Twitter at Bill Ramo, mm-hmm. uh, still active trying to, you know, whenever I see something interesting, I'll you know, fire no, yeah. off my tweets. No, we have following stuff.
0: it. Yes, indeed. Yeah.
1: Uh, so I'm, I'm making a run at MVP for the next go. Excellent. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, we'll see how that works. Great.
0: Well, thank you for your time today, Bill.
1: Well, you're welcome, Greg. It was a pleasure uh, doing this podcast with you, and I can't wait to hear this. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Great.